Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal. I hope wherever you're watching or listening to this show around the world, you're having a very, very good start to your weekend. Bit of a special show today, stepping away from the usual stuff, just looking at me waffling on for 20 minutes or so. I'm going to have a guest come on and waffle on with me for about 20, 25 minutes or so. And it's a guest you all know very, very well. He's been on the show before and uh, yeah, very uh, distinguished writer in the uh, in the world of the Arsenal journalistic scene i am of course talking about sam dean of the telegraph how are you doing dino all good mate yeah all good charlie thanks mate good 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 to have you on again i know you're uh, heading off on your uh, honeymoon in the next few days going to enjoy in some nice sunny weather and uh yeah so good of you to share some time with us before you you head off um where are you going again uh the caribbean caribbean yeah so, i uh... went there on my honeymoon very good went to st lucia was, uh yeah very very nice can imagine Looking out the window right now in this horrible grey cold weather, it's going to be, uh, yeah, I'm jealous, jealous. It's, uh, anyway, it's, so it's, yeah, it's I thought I'd pop on, have a little bit of a chat about all things Arsenal. It's been a while since you've uh, you've been on the show. It's um weird time, sort of for Arsenal at the moment, isn't it? There's a lot of sort of frustration, disappointment, and recent results. I think it's that classic cliche of this little break has probably actually come at a, at a good time for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. Yeah, I agree to an extent. I think there'll be a a lingering sense of frustration and, mm. and pain at the last few results and, and going away with that sort of sitting as a, as a bad taste in the mouth still, as Arteta would put it, maybe a pain in the tummy, as he likes to say. Um, but uh, yeah, at least it's given them a chance to have that kind of mental refresh and, and reset, which he spoke about after the Liverpool game and, and needing that. And uh, I think psychologically that will be important for the players as much as physically, really. I don't think this Christmas New Year period has been as physically demanding as previous years, certainly not last year after the World Cup. So 
I think it's more a mental thing and, and getting some hot weather, the families have gone out too. There'll be a lot of sort of team bonding and work on the training ground. And I, I just think you can imagine the vibes are good uh, or that Arteta is trying very hard to make sure the vibes are good at least. And hopefully from Arsenal's point of view, that means they come back a little bit, a little bit fresher and without that weight on their shoulders, which has kind of visibly been there, I think since Christmas and in this sudden downturn of form. Yeah, that Palace game, it just feels really, really important, that game, doesn't it? It's just one of those games you cannot afford for this to sort of continue. I, I looked at it, I was talking about it on a show a couple of a couple of days ago, sort of looking at, are, are we at sort of crisis point yet the season for Arsenal? I don't think we're, we're there yet, but if this continues for certainly certainly two, I would say two more games, then then you are. I mean, obviously out of the FA Cup, and if, you're, if things go wrong in the next couple of games and you're suddenly looking at about a 10-point deficit in the Premier League, then then it's going to be a long, hard second half of the season. But if they come back, they find some form, they find some goals, most importantly, against Palace, then you can kind of kick on again and just put what's happened down as a as a little bit of a blip, can't you? It's not... It, it, we're kind of at that teetering point of the season where it could go either way. Yeah, I, I'm personally not at crisis point kind of moment in my head. I think I've been, I've been covering Arsenal for more than five years now. And in that time, especially at the start, I saw some bad teams and I saw mm. some really bad performances. And and while this run of results is kind of comparable in terms of one win in seven and and the actual points on the board have been pretty bad and among the worst runs that Arteta's put together or anything that Unai Emery produced, I think the performances are absolutely fine, which sounds mad, obviously, but the, the issue here is not in terms of the structure and the system and what they're doing and, and the players in the squad. It's, it's purely an issue of finishing. And I'm, I know too much is made of, of XG and I'm, I'm still a slightly, you know, unconvinced on that as a predictive model. I think it's a good reflective thing. But if you look at it reflectively, like I think Arsenal have scored one goal from what they should have scored six or seven in the past few games and, and conceded six from what should have been one or two. So this does really feel like an, anom- an anomaly, a bit of a freak run. Um, but you're right. Suddenly, if that becomes longer lasting or if that becomes a thing that really affects the minds of the players, then it can cause systemic issues and it can lead into something bigger. So they need to stop the rock quickly. But I'm, I'm, even, if they, even if they played really, really well against Palace and somehow draw nil-nil again after hitting the post seven times, I still don't think internally they'd be thinking this is a crisis. They've got to judge it based on performances and what they're doing and how they're playing. And yeah, it's fine margins with the goals sometimes. And I think you have to trust the players over the course of a season to kind of get that right rather than rip up the whole thing and really go into panic mode. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I'm feeling about it. I think coming out of that Liverpool game, it was really disappointing and you could feel it around the stadium. But when you sort of look at it in the cold light of day, there was no way you could sort of come out of that and think that wasn't a decent performance from Arsenal. It was a decent performance, but they just in both boxes, again, similar to the West Ham game, they let themselves down in terms of their finishing and defensively, they weren't good enough. And, so, sort of defensively, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because all the focus is on the, the finishing and the lack of goals. But, you know, defensively, things that weren't happening at the start of the season have started to sneak back into their game a little bit. The set-piece issues, which we saw at the end, towards the end of last season, which became a little bit of a running theme. And um, it's not just at the attacking end of the pitch that they've got to get things right again and sort of sort themselves out again, isn't it? I think defensively, there's definitely things that they need to they need to sharpen up on if they're going to get out of this little rust of form. Yeah, I think the set pieces thing is the main one because that's in, in pretty much 
every game they've, they've dropped points in recently or, or even the ones they've almost dropped points in like Luton mm. the set pieces issue has been the big one and yeah. against West Ham obviously that the first goal wasn't a set piece but the second goal was the one that really killed the game I think for Arsenal and it allowed West Ham to properly sit back and say we've got a two goal lead we can sit on this and protect this and it changed the dynamic in the wrong way obviously Liverpool that first goal was, it, it was the winner from a set piece Fulham they scored their winner from a set piece too so it's clearly a uh, becoming a, a pretty significant issue for Arsenal, who have been very good at set pieces until December. It's weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah. why, why have, what, it's like there can't be something that's sort of happening on the on the training ground or something different they're doing. It's weird that it suddenly sneaked back into the game. Do you think it's just coincidence or there is actually sort of more of a fundamental error that, that sort of causes this, this little sort of glut of goals that we're seeing from set pieces? Well, I think the fact that Premier League clubs now have set pieces coaches who work specifically on this shows that it probably isn't coincidence. You don't put this kind of thing down to luck because you, you have someone there trying to skew the odds in your favour as much as possible. I think what is relevant is that they played Luton and conceded two from set pieces there, I think, who Luton are a very good set piece team. West Ham are argue, arguably the best set piece team in, in the league. And Liverpool have Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's argue, arguably the best sort of set piece deliverer in the league, if not in Europe. So like they have played against three teams who are experts in those positions. So it's no wonder they've been a bit more vulnerable. But you'd certainly expect that Nicholas Jova is sitting there in his office at Arsenal and frantically trying to find a solution for this because it will come on him eventually if they keep having this problem. And evidently something needs to change on that. Um, obviously, Palace will be similarly hoping to, to pack the box from attacking set pieces and win free kicks in the Arsenal half. So mm-hmm. once again, it'll be it'll be a problem for Arsenal to deal with. Um, but yeah, the thing is, if, for all the set pieces, coaches there are and for the control they have there's only so much you can do when Trent Alexander-Arnold whips it into that zone and you've got to make a decision whether to jump for it or not and uh, Jakob Kibio made the decision got it wrong and goes in the back of the net and yeah that's that's football I'm afraid when, when a player like Trent is whipping it in with that kind of pace and accuracy that is always the danger. Mm-hmm. We are obviously slap bang in the middle of January at the moment and there is a lot of focus on the squad and see the lack of goals that obviously brings with it a conversation about the strikers that we see and Mikel's sort of facing answers at uh, facing questions at in most press conferences at the moment um you wrote a story actually didn't you that uh, I've got it here let's bring it up just to uh, to show but you you put a story out yesterday on the telegraph um about Joshua Zerksy 22 year old Bologna that uh, Arsenal are keeping tabs on um it's not the first striker we've seen link probably won't be the last striker we've seen sort of mentioned with Arsenal it's just it's you know, and, and I'm sure you're in the same situation as me. That sort of what what you're hearing and the messages you're getting from people around the club is that if yes, they are open to doing some business this window if they possibly can, but it is hard. It's going to be difficult, especially if you're looking at big prices. I mean, what, what do you think or predict for Arsenal's window over the next sort of three weeks or so in terms of what they can or potentially more importantly can't do? Yeah, I think can't is probably the operative word here. I think. Um... Well, first of all, let's start with start with Xerxes. I think if he is a player, and basically what 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 I know from numerous people now is that Arsenal are are closely monitoring quite a few strikers in Europe. He is definitely one of them. They're keeping an eye on. Whether that means they can make an offer for him this month, I don't know. I think it's probably unlikely at this stage still. Whether they can make an offer for him for the summer, maybe a different 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 issue, or maybe he's one of the ones on the list that they could consider for the summer. Mm-hmm. All, all I know, he's definitely a player they like and they admire. And, as I said in the story, I think it's still pretty unlikely that a January move can happen. 
I think for January, what needs to happen really for Arsenal is is for the dominoes to fall. Um, and for that, I think it'll probably be somebody leaving. Um, you know, you can take your pick who that might be at this stage. We don't know. Obviously, there's interest in it. Eddie and Ketia, sort of long term from Crystal Palace. Um, Aaron Ramsdale will have admirers for sure. Emil Smith-Rowe, we see he's not getting the minutes that he'll want. For sure. We see how he's not playing that big a role in the Arsenal squad. And at one point, he will surely have to consider his future too. And Arsenal have to consider that one as well. So there's there are a few spinning plates at the moment. The, the, the issue for Arsenal is obviously a financial one. And as I'm sure, you know, we, as we all know, and has been discussed a lot, they spent a lot of money in the summer. They need to be careful. There's a reason they did the David Ryan deal as they did. With a loan with an obligation to buy, so, sorry, not an obligation, an option, which is effectively an obligation, but is not technically an obligation. But they they are fully expected by everyone involved to be paying thirty million for David Raya this summer. So that's already sort of factored in. So frankly, it's not straightforward at all. And my expectation is that unless something changes in terms of outgoings or they can find a deal as a loan maybe or structured in such a way that makes it doable now on the accounting front, I'm still struggling to see anything happening. And what I should say as well is that, and I'm sure you've got the same information, but the view internally at Arsenal is very different to a couple of years ago when they were still in that massive rebuilding phase and a lot of players were going, a lot of players were were coming in. They're quite happy now with the squad they have and the balance they have in that squad um, across the board in defence midfield an attack. Obviously, the issues come from injuries, and Thomas Partey being out has been a big blow this season. And, and, and the same with Jurian Timber, who Arteta was going to use to kind of reshape and remould the team, and then had to basically put those plans on hold for for months on end. So, if they look at their squad when everyone's fully fit, they're quite happy. The issue is it's very rare that everyone is fully fit, and mm. right now they've got this hugely pressing problem that they can't put the ball in there. So that's obviously why this, why the the fans are demanding a striker is signed. Obviously, the, the counter question to that is which striker do you sign and how much do you pay? And frankly, the answer is not obvious, and it's very much not a problem with an easy solution. What was that noise? Chopped <laughs> <Stop> my <laughs> ring. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a uh, trying to think what that what that sounded like. Um, <laughs> It's yeah. like I started pinging this coin in the press yeah. conference. You saw that. It's like you finished talking, and that was just a big crescendo at the end of your uh, end of your sorry. sentence. Sorry, sorry. Um, Xerxes is an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, with so many names linked, you know, some big names as well. You know, you think of the, the Tonys, the Osmans, play, you know, players like that. Xerxes is one of those ones that kind of feels more Arsenal in a way, in the way that they've been working recently, and how they look at players. You know, he certainly fits a bill in terms of the age and um but it does it would feel like a bit of a bit of a gamble is that the right word I don't know it's like you don't know exactly what you're getting here I mean he's a player who's just just really starting to make his way in the game isn't he? he's been around a little bit um went off to Bologna has had a good start to this season I think it's eight goals seven league goals this season got a couple last year for him but nothing you know it's been nothing groundbreaking in his career yet and so you are you would be basically taking a gamble on potential with him and I kind of you wonder when you look at Arsenal and where they are now where they're trying to get to and how they can really sort of take that next step it's like is that do you think that's what they probably should be doing when it comes to a striker or would you go with more proven you know big name if that's what you want to call them sort of striker who can really 
really sort of take Arsenal on to the next level. Well, how many of them are there? Yeah. That's the problem. And basically, there are two there are things that, yeah, Osterman, I think, clearly is going to be available for a very big amount of money with the release clause that he's, he's got in his new deal. Tony's obviously going to be mentioned as well. But other than that, there aren't, there aren't huge amounts are there there's not huge amounts of proper, proper number nines who you who you basically know will guarantee goals there's not there's not a load of harlands on the on the market who are easily easily gettable no exactly exactly so xerxes uh, for me fits a lot of or ticks a lot of the boxes that arsenal usually look for in mm-hmm. a recruit um in terms of his age the fact that he's got the different sort of physical profile as well he'd bring in something different option in, in the front line. He's six foot four. He's a big guy. He's powerful. He's, he's, he can turn well. He's He's got good feet in the box, finishes off both feet. And I think, you know, fundamentally, he'd just be a different kind of player for Arteta to work with. Mm. But we saw last summer, and the last summer was when they got back in the Champions League, that Arsenal moved away from the 22-year-old project who could be the future star. And they spent 105 million pounds on Declan Rice. They said, "Here's the player we want. Here is the player who takes us to the next level. Let's pay what we need to pay to get him." So, if that's the position they're now in, and they now want to sort of build the squad in that way, where they want to get a showpiece man, the guy who is almost a guarantee, then I don't think that's going to be Xerxes. And I think there'll be someone more expensive, like you say. And I think Osterman's the name that keeps coming up, and one that obviously is very exciting given what he's achieved at Napoli and the kind of player he is. I mean, when you look at some of his goals, I'm sure you've done the same as me and just watched it. And like the headers, for example, and the leap and the physical power, it's you can see why it would be tempting when you can imagine sort of Saka cutting in and curling across towards that guy because he'll be an absolute different kind of animal in that penalty area compared to what Arsenal have already. Um, but he's expensive. That's the problem. So whether they can keep doing that, making a deck the rice signing every year, I don't know. Um, mm. I would suggest it's probably unlikely or at the very least completely dependent on them getting Champions League football every year, mm. which we kind of always, we've kind of all assumed this season that they would get Champions League football, but it's not a guarantee. They're currently fourth and there's a lot of very good teams in the Premier League. It's not going mm. to be a guarantee for some time. So it's very hard to judge. I think that's why, that's why, as far as I understand it, they are monitoring quite a few different options around Europe and, and Xerxes is one of those options. Mm. I have my doubts to be honest, over whether how over how much they really need a centre forward. I was going to say, would you if they didn't sign someone this window, which I think we're all we'd probably right now put as the most likely scenario to come out of this window is that they don't sign a don't sign a forward. Would you be overly worried about Arsenal's prospects for the second half of the season if if that is the case, or would you fully expect the likes of Saka, Martinelli, Jesus, you know, even Odegaard, Havertz, to some respect to to find their shooting boots again. Because we know they can do it. They did it last season. And yeah. so they can do it. They've got the quality is there to suddenly go on a run and score plenty of goals and for Arsenal to win games more convincingly and to take their chances. So would you be would you be overly sort of concerned about it? A lot of supporters will, but would you yourself? Uh not really, but on the big caveat that Jesus needs to be fit. Mm. Obviously we've seen he's training out in Dubai, which is obviously a good sign that it, that this knee injury isn't isn't a serious one. But if he's not going to be available consistently every week, then I think Arsenal really do need another option up front. If he is going to be around and going to be fit, then they're probably fine. I think. I think they're not. They're not that far off. I said this before, and I made this point in a few pieces recently. I actually think the more pressing issue for Arsenal is is another winger. I know yeah, it's sort I of 
interesting discussion with different people had different views, but I think they need another Martinelli type who can play ideally on both wings. And that's actually more pressing than, than a centre forward option because they have Jesus, they have Nketiah and they have Havertz who can play there very well. So that strikes me as kind of, and Trossard can play there too. Yeah. Although I'm not always convinced by Trossard up front, but he can play there. So he knows when he plays up there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see the, when you look at the squad and the depth, I see the, the wide forward, the winger option as, as a more sort of pressing priority. But then if if Nketiah is sold, then obviously they've got to get someone else in. Or if Jesus is, is not going to be fit, they've got to get someone else in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that balancing act. And this is why, you know, this is why Eddie runs the big bucks because you've got to make these decisions. Yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that Jesus has come back so quickly, I think it's obviously very good from an Arsenal point of view. The last thing you wanted was him to suffer a bit of a relapse with this injury that was going to keep him out for a while. I, I think they're probably, yeah, I don't think I'd be, I'd be too worried if they don't sign anyone, but I, I agree with you 100%. I think if you right now gave me £70 million and said, go out and bring in one player or strengthen one position for the second half of the season, I'd be going for, a, for another wide man. I think the way Arsenal play, how important their wingers are to their system and yeah I, I just think they desperately need another option there top quality option there to um just to give either yeah. either one of the wingers a breather to just try something new you know yeah a Pedro Neto who I think would be perfect I do worry about Pedro Neto's injury record though it's like do you really want to spend that sort of money on another player who, who's in who's consistently injured that would worry me, you know, a, a Michael Elise, someone like that. I know it's not going to happen, but I do think that would be the area that would really give Arsenal a boost. And I think they would, you know, I still think they'd score enough goals without a central striker. I think they need to sign a central striker in the next couple of windows. But right now, I'd uh, I'd prioritise another winger over a forward. But but that's just me. And I know a lot of people yeah. won't agree with that. Yeah, I think I agree. The issue with it is, you made the point about if he gave you £70 million. Arsenal haven't got 70 million right. and the only way they're going to get money is by selling someone so then when you sell someone you create a gap yeah. so it's almost like you, you I don't think you could maybe you could but I think it'd be it'd be harder to justify selling Nketiah and spending that money on a winger for example you see what I mean like or you sell Smith Rowe and then you probably have a midfield shortage but he doesn't use Smith Rowe. So I, I'm at the point, and you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a big Smith Rowe fan. Everyone that on this watches this channel knows I'm a big Smith Rowe fan. But it's got to the point where he's just literally not using him. And so, mm. what is the point in keeping him around? So I don't, I don't see a sale of Smith Rowe now would leave Arsenal short because he's just so clearly way off mm. in the pecking order of Arteta. I just, I just feel we're at that point now where you just may as well sell because it's doing no one any good. It's not doing him any good. It's not doing Arsenal any good. And his value is just tanking every single week that he, that he doesn't play. So yeah, that's if, the problem, isn't it? Yeah, if an offer came in for, for Emil in the next couple of weeks, I just think Arsenal would be mad not to take it if it's a decent offer even even if they didn't even end up signing anyone to replace him I just I just yeah it just feels he's so far off it in terms of Mikel's thinking which is a which is a big big shame um 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Who would you sign then? If you had it like, and this is again, this is just sort of thinking out loud. If you had suddenly Cronkies found 70 million down the side of their uh, sofa on their ranch in Texas, or, or, or who would you who would you sort of pick up from somewhere who do you think could really come in and make a difference for Arsenal? I've got a feeling I know who you're going to say, actually. But. Oh, oh who, who am I going to say, do you think? Someone who probably generate a lot of a lot of rage on this channel. If uh, if you're right, and I, I'm actually so confident <laughs> in who it's going to be that I've already prepared a picture of him. <laughs> Let's see if uh, I'm right. Let's see if it, I'm right. Is it? Is there, it, is it, there he is. <laughs> yeah, I've made this point um, a few times. I mean, it's slightly tongue in cheek. Are you are you going off the idea now? Are you finally no, moving away? No, 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 not at all. But I, I, it's, I mean, it's not in, it's not a hundred percent serious that Arsenal should go and buy him now. What the only point I like to make on Mudrik is that, as it stands, Chelsea are going to be nowhere near the Champions League, and they at one point are going to have to start selling players. And there's a lot of talk now, for example, about Conor Gallagher being sold because they've got to raise yeah. money to pay for all these deals they've done and all the deals they want to do, like they're trying to buy a striker, for example just like Arsenal. So at one point, they're going to have to start cashing in on some of these players. Mudrik is a player who has lingering value for them because he costs so much, because he's so young, because he has potential. And he's been obviously very disappointing. But Arsenal have done so much work on him. Maybe they were so convinced by him that I'm not... I don't think they would have watched the last year at a chaotic Chelsea, which has been all over the place and totally changed their minds on him. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. I think, well, actually, I know for a fact that they think it would have been very different if he joined Arsenal in January. He wouldn't have played like he has for Chelsea if he'd played for Arsenal. Not least because if he had, would have had Zinchenko there for support and a system that actually functions in, in a coherent and consistent way and a coach who has history of bringing out the best of young wide players. So, I don't know. No, I, it, January obviously would never happen, not least because Madrid's actually started to play sort of moderately well in the last few weeks but mm. I still maintain my belief that at one point in the coming sort of 18 months two years or whatever Arsenal will try again take him off Chelsea's hands <laughs> I just think I just I just I just I can't let it go basically um I just can't let it go uh, the other player I, I think Arsenal should really look at and this is one for the summer absolutely more more than January but we're talking about strikers and forwards and wingers, but in the longer term, they need to sort of revamp the midfield. Yeah. Thomas Partey is going to have a year left. 
in the summer, Jorginho will technically be out of contract, but with an option. And I'd kind of be surprised if Arsenal don't trigger that option. And then he's out of contract. And obviously we know isn't really in, in the pitch in terms of first team minutes. So they're going to need to get at least one, if not two, central midfielders in the next couple of windows. Maybe sort of by this time next year, they've got to really be kind of revamping that. And I look at Barcelona, look at Frankie de Jong and think that is a player who perfectly suits Arsenal's system. Mm. Perfectly understands the kind of football that Arteta wants to play. He can play as a six, he can play as an eight, just like Declan Rice. Those two would work really well together. And I look at it and think a midfield three of Odegaard, de Jong, Rice kind of has everything um, and would be really exciting. He could play like Jorginho did against Liverpool with a 4-2-3-1, change it up or in a 4-3-3. He can sit there on his own in midfield. He can go box to box. He's just a really top player. And we all know in the whole world, the whole football world knows that Barcelona have got these enormous financial issues and financial pressures. The question is whether he'd want to come. And that was obviously the issue for Man United a few years ago when they tried to buy him and and Barcelona were keen to do the deal by all accounts, and, and De Jong said no. So that would be the issue, whether he wants to leave Barcelona. But when I look across Europe at players who fit and who might be gettable, albeit for a big fee, I think that's that's the guy, in my view. But uh, I'm sure Arsenal's recruitment staff have other views as well. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do in the summer, how they sort of go again in the summer especially if they can't do anything significant this window i think it's gonna be really interesting to see what the sort of next stage is in the squad development at arsenal in terms of where they go um we've spoken about him a little bit i think we've mentioned him a couple of times um already today but urian timber really good to see him back out yesterday and um arsenal released a video if you haven't seen it yet head over to arsenal.com or on their socials and you can see it of, of timber sort of stepping up his recovery over in dubai bit unexpected you know obviously I knew he was going over there and I thought some stage you might see a a couple of vids of him doing a bit of jogging with the fitness coaches something like that but it looked pretty sort of intensive what he was doing you know a lot he was he's out there using the ball you know sort of short sharp turning for someone coming back from that sort of knee injury is a good sign obviously look there's no they're not going to be risking anything when it comes to timber and they're going to be carefully managing the next I would imagine still couple of months before he even gets close to being around the team again but a really good sign. I mean, it's it, it's very hard not to look at that injury to Timber on the opening day and just that sort of big question of what if, you know, what if that didn't happen? You know, where would Arsenal be now? How would they be setting up now, you know, tactically? What would they be doing just with that one player in terms of what he was going to bring to Arsenal? So it was really good to see him back out on the pitch yesterday. Yeah, so I actually asked Arteta about this last week. I said, basically, what how, how much did Timber's injury kind of derail the plans you had and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, yeah, a lot. And then he also, in that answer, referenced Thomas Partey and mm. the sort of plans they had. Uh, and he said that, you know, in pre-season, at the very start of the season, the world could see like a tiny glimpse of the direction he wanted to take the club in. Um, and then obviously it all fell apart. So I, I presume by that he's referring to the way that they started the season with Partey at right back and, and, and Timber on the left. Um, my understanding on Timber f- from day one was always that he he could play like Zinchenko does, but from right back. Mm. Uh, and obviously in that first game of the season, Zinchenko was out and they put Thomas Partey there uh, as sort of the inverted fullback f- from the right. Um, uh, my suspicion is that when everyone's fit, they can then alternate between Zinchenko and Timber and the right and left in terms of who's who's inverting and that changes the way they play and the build-up and 
Arteta spoke about them being more unpredictable. And I think that's probably what he was referring to, that mm-hmm. the fact that they, at the moment, this season, well, in the last two seasons, the inverted fullback has always been the left-back, even when Zinchenko's out. For, you know, they made, they made Kieran Tierney do that last year, despite that not being Tierney's game. And against Fulham, they made Jakob Kivior do it, despite that very much not being Kivior's game. The only time this season they've moved away from that was in the most recent game against Liverpool when they changed the shape and, and played a sort of 4-2-3-1. And I wonder if that was kind of an admission that without Zinchenko, you can't really make Kivior do that. It's not something he's comfortable with. He's a centre-back after all, not a not an inverted left-back. And that's such a specific and, and difficult position to play. It requires such a deep level of tactical understanding and experience that it's hard to just chuck Kivior in there and do it. So... Obviously, Timber can do it from both sides and he can also play centre-back. He can play left-back in a different way. And I think the word is flexibility and they've not had that without him. Um, but yeah, on, on the injury itself, this obviously feels quite quite soon, I think, his return to sort of running and kicking the ball around as as the video shows. Really soon, I, I think. I was yeah. really surprised. Yeah, I mean, the point you make, I think, is completely right that this is no guarantee or so. This, this doesn't mean that he's back next week just because he's... No. Sort of, running and kicking a bit like it's it's still a long old way before someone's ready for the the rigors of Premier League football but the one thing that that's I think important to flag and I don't want to sort of put any false hope in the mind of Arsenal fans because I don't I, I don't know when he's back I suspect Arsenal don't know yet either but they've just probably got a target they're aiming for yeah but he, he had a very unusual ACL injury in that he had the, the ACL tear and the knee ligament but there was not any other major damage to any other part of the knee. And as far as I understand it, and I'm really not an expert, ACL's injuries usually cause quite a lot of damage to the, the knee in general, not just the actual ligament itself, but the bits around it, I guess the meniscus, other ligaments, whatever, the tendons, the muscles, all the things that work into a knee that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. His was a re- remarkably and kind of unusually clean ACL tear. So based on that, I suppose it is logical that he might be back sooner than other players who have suffered ACL injuries. Mm-hmm. But we don't know yet. And we won't know until he's back in the match day squad and until he's back in, in, in first team training. But I, I think from the moment I was told that in in August that it wasn't a whole knee that's been messed up. It was just the ligament. That kind of gave a little bit of optimism that he might be back sooner than the usual nine to 10 month or 11 month weights that you normally get for a, a serious knee injury like this yeah I've always kind of looked at it as just next season I think anything other than next season is just a bonus I think when it when it comes to timber um you know it'd be great if he got back in March but even then after an injury like that you just think especially if Arsenal are in the mix for still in the Champions League and in the mix of the Premier League it's like throwing him into the intensity of that end of the season when he's been out for so long with an injury like that it just feels like a it, it would just feel like a, a quite a big risk. And a, yeah, anything other than next season, I think it's a bonus for Timber, but it's great to see him back out there. And there's no doubt that his, his absence has caused a big issue for Arsenal this season. And you kind of look at where they are defensively right now. It does, they are still a little bit short. We're not, we're not, you know, all the focus obviously is on attackers, wingers in terms of bringing players in. But if they do do anything in this window, I do wonder if it is going to be, you know, the focus might well be just adding another another name to that back line, another bit of strength from, you know, who that be, I, I have no idea. I've seen, you know, obviously there's reports of potential loans, looking at loans. Uh, you wrote a piece actually about um, 
again, this is more for the summer than 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 um, than right now. But Gerald Hatto over at Ajax, young seventeen-year-old, seventeen-year-old, he's already captain and being captain of Ajax. He's played every game this season. It's just incredible. Um, That's a great way to inflate the value, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, been captain already. That's another five million. <laughs> yeah, very clever, very clever of him. Um, the, the, I think that I is quite still confident that he will sign a new deal at some point because he's got about eighteen months left on his deal, isn't he? But I mean, just the fact that they are looking at him as you as you reported, you know, suggests that they they know that there is still a little bit of of work to do at the back line, even if it's doesn't quite generate the headlines that uh, some of the other positions in the squad does at the moment. Yeah, I mean. Uh, frankly, this guy seems to be one of the most promising young talents in, in Europe. Um, and it's not really a surprise that Arsenal want him. Yeah. I actually think so so much so that what I, and I don't know this, this is just purely my reading of it, is if, for example, he decides to stay with Ajax and sign a new contract, which is totally feasible um, mm. and would be logical for him to do, I think, to a degree, give himself another couple of years to develop there and really kick on, that would be completely understandable and I'm sure Arsenal would, would agree. I don't think the fact that, that, that they then missed out on him would, would necessarily mean they have to go and sign another left-sided centre-back or, or, or left-back this summer. Um, I, I wonder if they see him as someone who's so good and so worth getting in the long term that they should just do it if they can, mm-hmm. rather than to think we need a left-back slash centre-back, let's get someone else in. I don't know that, that's just my purely... Uh, my own speculation. What I do know for sure is they like they like him and they uh, they want to get that done if they can. But yeah. it ain't that simple as ever. Um, yeah, just if you don't mind, just very quickly on the timber. If I can just jump back to the ACL um, mm. thing, I, I remember reading an interview a few years ago with one of the sort of leading um, knee surgeons uh, who has worked with Arsenal players before, I believe. And he, he, if I remember rightly, made the point that it's not just the return to the actual field of play it's actually the the time it takes after that to get back to your usual confidence and and physicality and I think generally speaking there's an acceptance that another six to 12 months of actually playing is kind of required before a player gets back to their usual level after an ACL so yes Timber could come back by the end of this season or the start of next season but I think it would be unfair to expect him to come back at the level that you would expect from from a player pre-injury for another six months, 12 months. And that's always been the case. And I think Arsenal have seen that themselves. Remember when Hector Bellerin came back, he looked like a very different player. Um, and he, he took some time to sort of regain the physical power and speed that he had, and if he ever did, in fact. Um, yeah, you say, say he never did, to be honest. We were, well, yeah. It was, it was noticeable, I think, wasn't it? It was, It was. was. he just looked a completely think, different player after that injury. I think, I think also Rob, Rob Holding took some time after his ACL to get back to a confident physical level and again you could probably argue and I don't know what he would say to this so I can't speak for him obviously but I suspect he would say that he had to change his game or his body as a, as a consequence of that injury um, so yeah there's a little bit of negativity on that <laughs> to, to throw to throw your way after the, the positivity of seeing Timber back on the on the grass but yeah I, I think basically what I, I just I would caution Arsenal fans to, to go easy on him and not expect a huge amount for the first few months, even yeah. after he's come back and got got in the team. I think that's really important. There just can't be any expectations on him coming suddenly come in and be be the savior. He has to be so carefully managed. And like you said, you know, it could well be another season until you see him back to hopefully 
the sort of form that he was showing it was such a shame wasn't it just, it was just such a shame there's very rarely you see a player come in and just look so at home and mm. settled and just ready to make a huge huge impact he just looked so impressive in in the summer and it was it was such a shame certainly for him as well you think you sort of make your you make this dream move you come over to the premier league you know you got all your all your family over big excitement your first game in the premier league and you get an injury like that it was just a hammer blow for for him and and the club but fingers crossed he is now on the um on the way back in terms of what we've seen so far in Dubai, before we wrap this up, so, I mean, we talked about Gabriel Jesus. Obviously, that was good, good news. He was back. Um, Fabio Vieira was out there as well. Thomas Partey, very, very close now, as far as I'm aware. You know, potentially the next couple of games, he could well be involved, if not in the Palace game, then certainly the game after that, if all things go to go to plan. So he's knocking on the door again. And you sort of bring those three players, Jesus, Vieira, Partey, back into the squad. And, you know, suddenly things don't look quite so stretched with those players um and and that will be a that will be a boost to our tentative and it just getting those sort of players back and just adding some strength and quality to the to the squad yeah yeah i, I must admit i kind of keep forgetting that Vieira is injured which is not, which is a, not probably not a great reflection of that 30 million pound signing um but obviously him coming back with would give them more options a bit more depth maybe allow Havertz to play up front a bit more um but the one the one i think arsenal fans should be really looking forward to his party yeah what is he going to do with party do you think if when if he gets fit and stays fit you know what is what can you see being party's role in this second half of the season well the inverted right back is a possibility i know some fans weren't happy with it at the start of the season i think that's i think that's reasonable but i I think that's very much a possibility and when arteta speaks about flexibility that that jumps to mind um i also think to be honest and, and this is not at all a criticism of Declan Rice, who, as everyone knows, has been just phenomenal since he since he joined the club. But I do think the one area of the game in which Party is currently ahead of Rice is that ability to to play the ball through the lines, the disguise on the passes. That that I don't know if courage is the right word, but I think it probably is the courage to try and pick out Odegaard or Saka through three or four players. I think Rice who is brilliant, and this is not a dig at him, but I think his game is slightly more conservative on the ball than parties. And I think when you talk about breaking down deep blocks and and creating chances and putting the ball in the net, I think that could add a few percentage points for Arsenal. It could make that little bit of difference. That makes all the difference. If if party can find Odegaard in a, in a good position twice a game, that could be enough to win the game. Um, and if Rice does it once, for example. So yeah, I, I can very much see Party Rice, Odegaard as a midfield three. We saw the shape change a bit against Liverpool with the midfield, two sitting. Maybe Party and Rice could do that a bit more. Um, I could see Party playing inverted right back. I could see them just simply using it as rotation more. And, and uh, with half an hour to go, bring on Thomas Party, whether you're winning and he can help shut the game down, or if you're losing, he can help pick those passes out. So fundamentally, Thomas Party is a really really good midfield player who last year I think from August until about March April time was by some distance the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League mm-hmm. so Arsenal have missed him and I think he will make a pretty big difference if he comes back the only thing I would say though is that if someone in say Saudi Arabia or Italy wants to buy him then obviously Arsenal have to sell him because he's got 18 months of his contract and he earns huge money so <laughs> they need him and they miss him but He's very much uh, 
not sort of a must keep, if that makes sense. No, no. I think, yeah. I would not be at all surprised if Arsenal start next season with Thomas Partey not, not in the squad. Put it that yeah, way. But um, if he does come back now and can stay fit between now and then, then like you, I think he's got a huge part to play in the second half of the season. And it just makes Arsenal immeasurably stronger to have Thomas Partey, a fit Thomas Partey available to, to choose from, whether that be, like say, a right back, which I really hope it's not, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or in, in midfield. And that midfield three of Rice party in Odegaard that we just haven't seen aside from in the community shield against Manchester City or Wembley is just a really really exciting prospect especially with some big big games at the likes of uh, the Yeti had to come between now and the end of the season and the Champions League as well um look Dino it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much I'm, I'm rambling here now sorry if your info is that he's back sort of maybe by end of the month mm-hmm. why is he not an AFCON then well, I was talking about this yesterday, and I, I think it does make sense because although he'll be back for Arsenal, the, the temptation won't be just to throw him straight back in. It'll be to you know to to give him minutes and, and build him up. But if you go, if he suddenly comes back fit in the middle of a major tournament and you're Ghana's key player, the absolute temptation then isn't just to give him ten minutes one game and then build it up. It's just to throw him straight in. I think, isn't it? And I think if you if you're not fit to do that in an international tournament for the country, I can imagine that. Garner well like, oh, what's the point of just bringing him on, bringing him over here and then playing him for 10 minutes in the third qualifying game, group stage game, and then trying to build him into the um, knockouts. I just uh, you, you don't, you, it's just not, I, I, we've seen it before with member Wayne Rooney, England, stuff like that. It's just not a, a tournament. It's not a time to bring a key player back and start trying to build their minutes up and get them fit during a big international tournament, is it? I think, I think it's much more sensible for everyone that you just do that carefully back at your club where the temptation not to just start him straight away is going to be nowhere near as, as big. And the clamour from certainly the whole nation supporters is not going to be as big as that. So I think with my Arsenal hat firmly on, mm. it's a, a very sensible decision from from Garner and Chris Hewton. Yeah, well, it, it's certainly sensible uh, and it certainly suits Arsenal. And I'm sure Arsenal are massively relieved that he's not at AFCON. But if, <laughs> but if I was Ghanaian and this guy suddenly starts playing end of Jan for Arsenal. And therefore, oh, he, would, and therefore <laughs> yeah. he would be available for the knockout stages, even off, off the bench in the quarterfinals, for example. I'd be absolutely fuming. Imagine if Harry Kane... Imagine if Harry Kane says, I can't go to the Euros, then he's played a pre-season friendly for Bayern Munich in late June. I know, yeah. Okay, absolutely. Be, I, again, the I, biggest I, meltdown you could possibly imagine. Is, <laughs> again, the whole exactly, country. This is exactly what I said yesterday. As a, a Ghanaian supporter, you'd be absolutely fuming at it. Um, yeah. but I mean, I fair play so. to Arsenal, because that's, that, for, the, for the sake of their player and their season, the right thing has happened. But yeah, yeah. I'm just sort of like, how have they managed that? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I know, but yeah. Certainly from an Arsenal point of view, it'll be good. And fingers crossed if he does get back fit and then he stays fit because that's always the big question mark when it comes to uh, Thomas Party. Look, mate, thank you very much. As always, whenever I sit down with you, this is uh, we, we've rambled on a lot longer than I originally planned to keep before. So thank you very much for your time. I know you're heading off to, heading off to where are you going? Stanford Bridge, aren't you? The Pochettino's press uh, conference. Just, uh, just Chelsea training ground, Cobham. Cobham. Press conference today. Yeah, um, yeah for, the, for the press conference. So, um, yeah, I hope you have... Good one there, and uh, you enjoy your weekend off, no game for you, and then you enjoy your your honeymoon, mate. I hope you have a great time. And um, also, you know, I'm in the press box actually for the Palace game, so uh, you're not going to be there for that, are you? No. If you could just fill my fill my fill the void by just talking about Mudrick for ninety minutes, that'd be great. 
I know. Do, It'll be I like I'm do, there still. I will do exactly that. I will do exactly <laughs> that. You're not going to let that one go. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Look, have a great honeymoon. Yeah, have a great time away. And, uh, and I'll catch up with you when you're back. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks again. Thanks, mate. Thanks, everyone, for watching. As always, be back tomorrow to do, talk all things Arsenal once again. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.